I'm always so nervous walking up those steps. <laughs> Can you um, bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, we come as needy children. We come needing um, your, your word. We need your spirit to, to shake us, to open our eyes, to stir our affections to you, um, to make Jesus glorious in our sight. Lord, uh, I, I, I'm personally speaking, I know I'm speaking for myself and, and probably for many others, just so much going on with, with the holiday and weather and life. Um, I need to see Jesus clearly today. I need to have my heart warmed. I need to be focused and recentered on, on you. I pray that happens for all of us as we jump into your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Hide me behind the cross and allow me to point to the empty tomb. Lord, we pray that you are glorified. I pray, we pray that your people are edified. Pray this in Jesus' holy and matchless name. Amen. Can you stand? Well, first, hello, my name is Tyler. Uh, <laughs> I am the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church Detroit. Uh, we are a grandchild of Riverview, and it is always a privilege to be here and to uh, worship and fellowship with you. And again, thank you for your support and uh, your prayers all throughout the years. Our church hit five years this year, and that, amen, that is no small feat. That is no small feat for a, a, a urban church in Detroit, and God has just been gracious and kind. So again, thank you uh, for all your support. Uh, please stand with me as we uh, read the Apostles' Creed. Ready and go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried, descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Oops. <laughs> and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Man, you may be seated. Thank you. You guys sound great. Um, so today we will hit the portion that uh, I, I love the most, if I may be honest. The third day, he rose from the dead. Um, we will, con we will uh, discuss the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, as was foretold by prophets, the prophets of old, and re repeatedly uh, foretold and prophesied by himself, Jesus physically returned from the dead three days after dying on the cross. Now, you may be wondering, why is this significant? Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? My brothers and sisters, I believe that the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin that holds the gospel together. Can I make it more plain than that? No resurrection, no gospel. Amen. To unpack the resurrection, we will look at 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, a little background, Paul uh, wrote this letter to a church that he planted in Corinth, a church gone wild, if you will. Uh, there was great dysfunction. There was great sin in the church in Corinth. There was division, sexual sin, idolatry. They were literally defiling the Lord's supper. They were dishonoring marriage. There was abuse of power. There was abuse of spiritual gifts, and they were denying the very gospel. So Paul, being the spiritual father that he was, he wrote this letter to call them uh, to repentance, this, this 16 chapter chastisement. But one chapter is unique. The, the 15th chapter, he takes somewhat of a, a detour and he spends the entire 15th chapter defending and articulating the resurrection of Jesus. He unpacks the glorious truth that Jesus rose again. There were people who were denying the resurrection of Jesus, and there was, there was great misinformation about the resurrection. So Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Paul wrote this letter to sort it out. So, so with all the sin, the sexual sin, division, infighting, divorce, spirit, all, all, spiritual abuse, spiritual gifts being abused, all lawsuits, everything was going on in this church. One of the largest chunks of this letter was written about the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Why is the resurrection of Jesus so crucial? Why was it crucial for this church? And why is it crucial for us today with all the things we are experiencing? Why is this so important? Here's our main idea. Here's what I want you to take away. Christ's resurrection redeemed our past, secured our future, and empowers our present. The resurrection of Jesus redeemed our past, past sin, redeemed our past, secured our future, and empowers our present. First, the resurrection of Jesus redeemed our past. Let's, let's go uh, to verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I want to make to make this clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I pass to you as uh, most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scripture. So, so Paul, he, he says, I want to make this clear. The gospel that I preach, I want you to be clear. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. This is the gospel. And he would go on to unpack it. Again, he's going to, to tease out the resurrection of Jesus there was misinformation, and there were people actually de denying that Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul said, let me take a step back, and let me just tell you what this gospel message is. Two issues arose in Corinth. First, there, uh, were, they were questioning the legitimacy of the resurrection. And secondly, there were people in Corinth who were viewing the gospel as merely a one-time experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were viewing the gospel as just the means of salvation. Today, like the people in Paul's day, many view the gospel as just a one-time immunization or a yearly flu shot. 
They view the gospel as a get-out-of-hell-free pass. In actuality, the gospel is more like the food and the water and the air we need to live by, not a one-time shot. Notice what he said. He said, this gospel is, is what you have taken your stand on and which you are being saved by. Verse 1 and 2. This phrase, being saved, refers to the, the, the continual work of the gospel, which is called sanctification. This, this process is we are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is the beginning, that's salvation. The gospel is the middle, that's sanctification. And the gospel is the end, that's glorification. My brothers and sisters, I, I believe much of our frustration, our confusion, our stress, our anxiety, our, our uncertainty, our lack of joy, and, and much of our falling into sin comes from gospel malnutrition. Gospel malnutrition happens when we neglect to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. Notice what he said. He said, the gospel message is that uh, verses um, 3 and 4, for I pass on to you as uh, what is most important, what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the Scripture. All of Scripture from Genesis to Malachi pointed to this Savior that would come to destroy the forces of Satan, free humanity from the slavery of sin, and reconcile all of God's creation back to him. Paul said, my message is very clear. It's a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Jesus lives sinlessly in our place, died sacrificially to pay our sin debts and rose victoriously to conquer sin, Satan, and death. Again, he, he, he redeemed our past. Every sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus redeemed our past because he willingly accepted our punishment granted us forgiveness and made a way for us to become the children of God through his death and resurrection. Here's, here's a, a quick point of application. You either feast or famine. You either feast or famine. You, you either grow in his grace through uh, nourishing on the gospel or you will become spiritually malnutrition, mal, uh, malnourished. Notice it, referring to the gospel, he says, you believe the gospel, you stand on the gospel, and you're being saved or sanctified by the gospel. This points to our constant need for the gospel of Jesus. Again, I believe much of our stress and our fear and our anxiety, our worry, our doubt, our uncertainty is because we are not feeding on the gospel daily. To flourish spiritually, we must feed on the gospel as you start a new year, I'm going to challenge you to commit to spend 10, 15 minutes or, or more reading, listening to Scripture, preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Let's keep going. Verse, verse 4, he says um, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, verse 6. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, 
one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. The resurrection of Jesus is the greatest proof of his divinity and his divine sonship as the second person of the Trinity. Paul points to the fact and the reality that Jesus rose from the dead according to the scripture. Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 says, come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind us, bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Jesus rose again like the scripture foretold, as the scripture predicted. Also, the resurrection of Jesus was not done in secret. The, the resurrection of Jesus was not done in a hidden place. Jesus had a, a 40, Acts chapter 1 says Jesus had a 40-day victory lap. There have been many before him and after who claimed to be divine messengers. Many claimed to be deity. Many claimed to be prophets. Many even claimed to be saviors while their deaths were, were, were shrouded in mystery. And they died like mere mortals. Jesus proved he was and is God himself by raising from the dead. All the 11 saw him and 500 witnesses. And Paul says, even me, I even saw him. He, the, the, the resurrected Lord Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. My brothers and sisters, remember this, that your Bible is not fiction. It's not, uh, it's a narrative, it's a story. It's the greatest story and the greatest narrative, but it's not fiction. It's not like Harry Potter. It's not like Lord of the Rings or fill in the blank. The Bible is a factual, historical document of real life events that was written by a real God. Paul tells the Corinthian church that Jesus rose from the dead and we have proof. We have receipts. Much to the doubter's chagrin, there has never been substantial evidence, a, a substantial argument against the resurrection of Jesus, even 2,000 years later. But the greatest evidence, I believe one of the greatest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is me. One, one of the greatest evidence of Jesus Christ is this room full of people. Look no further than your own life for evidence that Jesus is alive. Ephesians chapter 2 says, each and every one of us was born in sin, dead in sin, under the control of Satan himself. It's very bad news. But there's some good news. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places, in, he in the heavens, in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. This, and this is not from yourselves, but it's God's gift. 
despite rejecting God, despite being dead in sin, we were made alive. We spiritually came alive through his resurrection. Your very own salvation, your rebirth is proof of the resurrection of Jesus because he is resurrected in your life. First, Jesus redeemed our past. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus secured our future. Verses 12 through 19, Paul talks about how there were many who did not believe in the resurrection. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death has come through man, through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. As a response to the skepticism, Paul says that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ did not raise from the dead. And if Christ was not resurrected, then everything we believe as Christians is null, void, and false. Family, everything we believe, is, it, it, it hinges on the, the victorious, glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. No resurrection, no gospel. No resurrection, then we are still dead in our sins. The truth of the, the, truth of the gospel message is, is tied in the historical reality that Christ rose from the dead. Paul said, if, if Christ is still dead then we are still dead in our sins. Paul is clearly articulating that, that Jesus' death and resurrection is the only solution for the sin problem that humanity faces. If the resurrection of Jesus is, is false, then we have an empty, useless faith, and we are still condemned for our sins. Listen, listen to verse, uh, verses 21 and 22 again. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Verse 22. For just, uh, just as in Adam all died, also, so also in Christ we all will be made alive. Again, Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus has secured our future the resurrection is, is, is an essential part of God's redemptive master plan to totally reverse all that fell in the garden and to consequently uh, redeem and rescue all of his creation. 
While the death of, uh, while Adam brought, brought death, the death and resurrection of Jesus brought new life in him. I love this. Paul says that, that, that because Jesus got up from the grave, we will also get up when he returns. Because Jesus rose again, we will also rise on that last day. Listen to verse 19 and 20 again. If we put our hope in Christ in this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But, it is, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we will rise again with him. We should praise God that we have an eternal hope beyond this brief and fleeting life. You know what Scripture says? Scripture says this life is like a vapor. This, scripture says that this life is like a blade of grass. So many put all that we have into this small, finite piece of time. But praise God that we have hope beyond this. Our lives on this earth are temporary. But Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare an eternal place for you, an eternal place where you will rest with me. Philippians 3.20 says, but your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that we have a hope beyond this chaos and this broken life. Maybe it's just me, but in times like this, this brings me great comfort. Times of uncertainty, times of change, times of chaos, times of mass, no mass, times of sickness, times of sorrow, times where we are surrounded by death. I'm glad I have a hope beyond all of this. I'm glad that our hope transcends this life. I'm glad that one day, I don't know when it will be, but one day I'll close my eyes for the last time. And when I open them, I'll see my Savior's face. Despite what's going on around us, we are headed to a better kingdom. We are headed to be with our king forever. Because Jesus got up, we'll get up. The reality is so many people live as if life, uh, this earth is the final destination. Many live good. They stack their bank accounts uh, build their 401ks. They prepare for retirement, but have insufficient funds in their eternal accounts. Are you packing your spiritual suitcase? Are, 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 are you living with eternity in sight, or are you living as if this life is it? Are you building your life on this sinking sand, or do you realize one day, you will spend eternity somewhere. 
you will spend eternity somewhere. Believers, do you live like those around you who are consumed by the earthly everyday matters or do you live with eternity in your view? First, Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus uh, redeemed our past. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus has secured our future. And lastly, the resurrection of Jesus empowers our presence. Skip all the way down to verse 54. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Like a great symphony director, Paul builds to this crescendo and ends chapter 15. He ends this, this lengthy discourse about the resurrection of Jesus with this doxology, this, this, this soaring praise to the victorious Christ. He begins... To end by posing two questions. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Paul is quoting Isaiah 25, verse 8. Isaiah said, he will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. Prophesying about the Lord Jesus, Isaiah said he will destroy death once and for all and he will wipe away their tears. And there will be no more disgrace, no more shame for God's people when he returns because of the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the triumphant resurrection of Jesus. Sin, death, and Satan have no more power over us. Death and his, his death and his resurrection uh, it was so powerful, Jesus literally put death to death and slayed sin on our behalf. Physical death, the body will decay. I just hit 40 this year. I'm feeling the realities of that. <laughs> the physical body will corrupt and the physical body will see death. But the reality is death, physical death, has no more power over God's people. Sin still exists, but we now through Christ have the power to resist sin and we are free from its bondage. We now have victory over fear and doubt and shame and sin through Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. But listen how Paul concludes this argument on the resurrection. Verse 58, therefore, verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The word therefore is very, very, very crucial. Uh, therefore is huge to, to, to understand this entire passage. Therefore is a cause and effect word. Therefore means as a result of or consequently. So follow me for a second. Because we have a risen Savior, because we have a gospel message, because we have evidence and proof that Jesus rose from the dead, because we have an eternal hope, because we have victory, therefore we stand firm and we produce much fruit for the kingdom. He's been building to this massive truth of verse 58 all the way since verse 1. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the evidence, because we have hope, we can be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. The resurrection of Jesus redeemed our past. It secured our future, but it also empowers us to live Today, three exhortations from verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable. The the fact that Paul is urging them and and us today to stand firm infers that there will be adversity that attempts to make us shake. The fact that he's telling us and telling them back then to stand firm infers and tells us that we will face adversity. We will face opposition this side of glory. My brothers and sisters, Jesus put it this way. In this life, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome it all. You will face opposition. You you will face satanic attacks. You will face it this side of glory as we seek to live for the Lord Jesus. But while this world all around us is attempting to stand on culture and attempting to stand on uh, sin and financial pursuits and other religious uh, schools of thought, and they're attempting to stand on politics and they're attempting to stand on all these other things. Paul is saying, because Jesus rose again, you can stand firm on the gospel and remain unshakable. As believers, we must remember that this is the only firm foundation we have been following Jesus a long time. And I notice when, when, when I uh, attempt to stand on anything else, that's when things start to shaking. But when I stand firm on him, yes, I face opposition. Yes, I face adversity. But I remember I have the victory in him. Him writer said, my hope is built on nothing less Are you standing firm in Jesus in these shaky times? Are you allowing the winds of opposition, the winds of adversity to cause you to shake? My brothers and sisters, 
It is the gospel of Jesus that we can stand firm on because everything else will move. Everything else will shake. Second exhortation, always excelling in the Lord's work. This, this phrase, always excelling, means that, that we are constantly, uh, tirelessly uh, engaging in fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ to evangelize the lost and to make disciples of the found. That's what we're called to do. That is what we're called to do as a church. That's what you're called to do in the Lansing area. That's what I'm called to do in Detroit, always excelling in the Lord's work. Evangelize the lost. Tell the spiritually dead and the lost that there is a Savior and to disciple the found. No matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or you're in full-time ministry or a student or you work in a plant, no matter where Christ has placed you, you are to be engaged in pushing his kingdom forwards. If you know Jesus, you're called to make him known to a lost and dying world, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5 uh, puts it this way. You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Wherever the Lord has placed you, you are there to shine the light of the gospel and to bring him glory. Every Christian is called to this task. Wherever God has placed you, your, your place of work, your school, your neighborhood, wherever the Lord has placed you, you are there to shine the light of the gospel, always excelling. In the Lord's work. Spurgeon put it this way. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Lastly, because you know your labor in the Lord. It's not in vain. Paul ends with this empathetic consolation to these believers and to us today. Paul ensures us that our work is not in vain as a pastor in Detroit living in a pandemic. I need to hear this. Some Sundays feels like it's in vain. I have moments <laughs> where I feel like, Lord, I could be doing so many other things. I feel nobody's listening. I, I don't see the fruit I think I should see. I need to remember because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything I do has eternal ramifications. You may not realize this, but whatever you do for Christ, it may seem small. It may seem insignificant. You probably won't get credit. You probably won't get a pat on the back, but everything you do for the Lord Jesus Christ has eternal ramifications. 
the reality is we have it upside down. Much of what we actually live for, uh, much of what we actually give our uh, attention to, much of what we actually give our time, our our talent, uh, much of what we throw our money at, much of what entertains us actually is in vain and has no eternal ramifications. But the little acts of service, greeting, working a camera, showing up at 7.30 in the morning, preaching, teaching, volunteering, whatever you do, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, these things have eternal significance and advance the kingdom forward and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wrap your mind around this. God placed you in your place of work, your neighborhood, your school, uh, just to be a smiling face just to be a pleasant Christian, which is rare these days. I'm going to keep it moving and I'm not going to stay there. (laughs) But to be a pleasant Christian, to share the gospel, to live out the gospel, to, to reek of the aroma of Jesus, he puts you there. And we have the privilege of being used by the king to build his kingdom that will last forever. Riverview, what you do for Jesus, for his name, in his name, for his glory, is not overlooked in heaven. You may be overlooked on earth. I feel overlooked sometimes. I don't always feel appreciated. But what I do for Christ has eternal significance, and it is not in vain. It is worth it. It's draining. It seems impossible. You share the gospel. You pour out your life, and it doesn't seem like anybody's responding. People are slow to surrender to Jesus. But it's worth it. It's worth it to see the spiritually dead come alive. Uh, It is worth it to see believers grow in their faith. Because our Savior suffered. And his, his suffering was not in vain. We know that all we do is not in vain. Knowing that Jesus rose from the dead... We know that we will spend eternity with him. And even now, he's using us to build that eternity. He's using our lives. He's using our our, our small sacrifices. He's using those things to draw others to him. We know that it's worth it. I'm going to invite the, the band back up as I close in prayer. Father, what a glorious truth. The third day, he rose from the dead. The Messiah, the King of Kings, came to earth and was the the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Died a brutal death and rose again with all power in his hands. Father, help us to be a people 
who, who with our, our very limited scope, our very limited ability to comprehend, help us to wrap our minds around the fact that every sin, past, present, and future, is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to wrap our minds around the fact that one day we will spend eternity with you and we'll see you face to face. No more pain, no more sickness, no more pandemics, no more cancer, no more death. We'll see you face to face. Oh, Lord, help us to be a people who stand firm in shaky times. Help us to be a people who abound in the work. Lord, help us to be a people who who know who you are, who walk closely with you. Lord, help us to be a people who draw lost people to you through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We pray this in Christ's holy, matchless name. Amen.